Hello, everybody. It's Dan Woods here, and we're going to do another edition of our Early Adopter podcast from RSA 2019. Right now, we have Stan Lowe with us from Zscaler. Stan is the global CISO for Zscaler, and he's going to talk about our three research questions and a bunch of other stuff. Mm. So, Stan, uh, would you explain for everybody who doesn't know, using the NIST cybersecurity framework, if possible, that that's the framework of identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. What exactly Zscaler does? So within the NIST cybersecurity framework, you know, NIST is really uh, NIST is one of the 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 founding frameworks that you know cybersecurity is based on. And again, you know, NIST has done a great job with that and stuff like that, and everybody likes it. Zscaler's the way Zscaler fits into the NIST cybersecurity framework. We're more in the detect. Uh, uh, respond uh, and mitigate. Not necessarily the recovery part of that because we don't do, you know, we don't manage the endpoints and we don't do that recovery aspect. Where Zscaler fits is we provide secure access to applications and data both in the cloud and in your legacy data centers, both for your internal users and your external mobile users. And that that's sort of the where we fit in that. And within the NIST cybersecurity framework, we're more in the detect respond area. So we give you visibility into where your users are, wherever they are, and we protect them wherever they are, uh, whether they're in your your legacy data centers or out gallivanting around the, the the world. So within that cybersecurity framework, that's primarily where we play. And Zscaler's uh, you know differentiating model is that it is a cloud-based. Right, system. exactly. We were we were designed for the cloud. We were born in the cloud, and our you know again, you know our our uh, our value proposition is being able to provide those users with access, secure access to their applications and data wherever they are. You know. You know, access to let the good in and let keep the bad out. And the idea is that somebody, wherever they are, collect connects to the Zscaler cloud, right, and then exactly. they get access so, to where whatever they're going exactly. to in a safe way. Exactly. So they can, you know, the, a typical user like you know, we'll just use Zscaler as an example because you know. We're our, uh, we're, we ate our own dog food, and I'm a customer. I actually, you know, I get a hell of a discount, but <laughs> we're a customer. So essentially, I, I have no internal network. Whenever my users connect uh, uh, any of our back-end business systems, they connect to Z, they use the ZPA app, Zscaler Private Access, and then they connect to that application wherever it happens to be, whether it's in, you know, uh, Salesforce or, you know, Workday or Microsoft Office 365 or whatever. They use the Zscaler Cloud to access that application and data. So essentially, we uh, we authenticate to the cloud. The cloud then applies a policy that says whether I can or whether I can't based upon what the customer decides. In this case, it's me. What access to what applications that they have and we provide that transport securely at the same time. We decrypt all the SSL, take a look at it. We apply our DLP policies and we apply uh, uh, next-gen cloud firewall, sandboxing, IDS, IPS, all that other stuff to the traffic as we see it. So, this is a perfect setup for my first question, which You're is welcome. which is about <laughs> zero trust. Now, you know, in the in the world uh, that we see now, people talk about the idea of zero trust, mm-hmm. meaning that we are not going to assume that anybody who's inside our network or somebody that you know is accessing systems from outside the network, mm-hmm. outside the perimeter, is trusted. We're going to revalidate them, and we're going to take action, mm-hmm. whether it's segmenting them or doing yeah. whatever it is. But it seems like that, in theory, this zero trust should be a, a concept that replaces the perimeter, mm-hmm. the idea of having a trust zone. Right. But in practice, it seems that zero trust hasn't really replaced anything, that, that zero trust is an additive sort of capability, and it doesn't take anything in a way. Um, 
you know, what does zero trust mean in practice? Is it is it really just an extra added layer, or is it really ever going to like replace and and take something out so, of pick, out of operation? Yeah. So you know, it's essentially, you know, zero trust is one of those. Um, those marketing terms that we hear a lot of vendors throwing around. And really, you know, essentially it's provide, you know, the concept originally was being able to provide that secure access to the applications and data no matter where the individual was. You know, we don't trust you, therefore, you know, you, you, you know, we're going to regulate how you access data. And that was, you know, Google's concept with their, their CorpNet, which is, you know, it's an awesome concept that, that if, you, if you design from that from the get-go, uh, in the real world, that sort of ran into, hey, most of us are hybrid and we live in a legacy world. So, you know, for a lot of people trying to implement zero trust using a, a, um, a legacy security architecture model ends up being an additive problem. Because essentially you're trying to take a, an existing uh, legacy architecture that was built for a legacy data center where everybody came into that, that enclave and they accessed their applications and their data that were there. But now that's no longer the case and you're moving that application and data to the cloud. So if you're trying to implement zero trust from that perspective, which means increasing your security boundary and pushing that security those security tools into the cloud or replicating those, that our legacy architecture into the cloud, yeah, it's going to be additive. But the way Zscaler, the way we look at it is, is that's not necessarily the, what you need to do anymore. So we prefer to, prefer to look at it around um, what is starting to come uh, into uh, common uses is software-defined perimeter. So essentially our view is that... Well, what is the software-defined so perimeter? So a software-defined perimeter is a, a perimeter that's built around the user no matter where they are. Because you know, again, once you provide somebody access, they're now you've trusted them in some way, shape, or form. So that zero's concept trust doesn't apply. If you um, if you have a legacy data center and you're trying to uh, provide individuals, you've got a trust network there. Because once they're on that network, they become a trusted entity. No matter how many times you've you've checked their identity, no matter how how many times you know uh, that you you validate that they're they have the permissions that they're supposed to have accessing the data once you put them on that network they become a trusted part of that network or a trusted node on that network which sort of breaks down the whole concept of zero trust so the way i look at this and the way zscaler look at this and the way a lot of other people are starting to look at this is that's sort of trying to use uh, an, um, a legacy concept into today's environment or today's cloud environment, which doesn't really work. Yeah, but because it seems like that if this were like intellectually um, uh, kind of complete mm -hmm. and consistent, the idea would be that you would no longer have a perimeter, that exactly. you would have uh, a, a, a responsive security system around each of your assets, mm -hmm. around each individual, around each server that then would uh, allow it yes. access to whatever you was supposed to get access to. Exactly. And if you built it that way to begin with, like, you know, because that's the way Zscaler operates. I, I operate in that model where I have no back-end business systems. I have no legacy data centers. I have none of, I have no data centers at all. I have no internal network. My, the internet is my network. So you're all saying, like, I, if, if I'm at the Zscaler offices mm -hmm. and I go down to the Wi-Fi, right. I'm on the naked internet. Yep, you absolutely are. 
Okay, so so at your at your offices, you actually do take something away. You don't have external firewalls. Right, we don't have external firewalls. We use our own applications because all of our st- our traffic is pushed to the Zscaler cloud that has a full security stack. Uh, so from that perspective, it's not additive. But we're in a unique position in that we were, you know, we're, our company came into existence because of the cloud, and we developed the product set to actually support that activity. Most in the real world. You know, not that we're not the real world, but in a, a legacy right. world, most companies have one. It's a hybrid world. You're going to have some of your applications in the cloud, and some of your applications are going to be in a legacy data center. For instance, if you're an SAP organization, you've got an ERP that you've invested tens of millions of dollars into. Your business process is just centered around completely around that. It's going to cost a fortune to take SAP, rejigger those. Um, uh, business processes and then put that into S4 HANA in the cloud. It's going to cost so much money uh, that it's going to be not necessarily worth it from a business risk perspective. So, you know, there are going to be organizations that have legacy applications and legacy data that they're never going to be able to move to the cloud, not for an extended period of time. So, what do you do? So the idea is to be able to apply the, the software-defined perimeter or that zero trust model, and I'm putting my fingers up in air in the quotes, to be able to allow that access, to have access to legacy data and applications that exist in your old data center, at the same time providing that same access to your new data, your new you know, location of your new applications and your new data in the cloud, and do both of those seamlessly and securely. Got it. And, and that's so, what essentially you know, that is. And so, and and just to make sure I understand your role, you are the CISO who's in charge of securing exactly. Zscaler. You are not. Uh, uh, you're 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 focused on Zscaler as a company. Right. Exactly. So I you know I have I, <laughs> I have three jobs. I have you know again you know since I've been doing this for a long time and I believe passionately in this. You know we've been doing security for 25 years, 30 years, and we haven't gotten it right yet. So, you know, security, uh, cybersecurity is important to the economic engine of the United States and the world. In order for humanity to be better, we have to have uh, a, a good economic uh, uh, engine that allows the facility of you know, human beings to be able to uh, interact with commerce in a way that you know, provides value to them. And the only way that you can do that successfully is if the, you know, the individuals that are interacting with a commercial engine or that economic engine trust that economic engine. The economic engine of the world today is pretty much based on the internet for first and second world countries. In order for that to continue to grow into the betterment of humanity, we have to have a good, uh, a good um, uh, faith in the security of the engine. And in order to have that, we have to have good cybersecurity. So in order to have good cybersecurity, we have to think about it differently because the, you know, the world is changing. So part of my job is to talk about that, you know, hey, we need to do things differently. Uh, so that's one part of my job. The other part of my job is the job that the board likes me to do, which is be the enterprise chief information, global chief information security officer for Zscaler. So that's a huge chunk of my job. I'd say about 40% of my job, you know, is the job that Jay, the CEO, likes me to do, which is talking to customers and, and you know, doing the, the evangelism, the, the education, the talking about the, the, you know, the value proposition of Zscaler. And the reason why I like this job is because I get to do that. And I could go on to you know a bunch of different companies and change this in a bunch of different companies, or you know based upon my ideas of service since I was the, 
uh, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for the VA at one time is, is making sure that I can change this writ large globally. So that's okay. one of the reasons why I'm So here. you're a thought leader, evangelist, educator. You're an internal CISO. You yep. said you were three parts of your job? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my, the third part of my job is dealing with global governments since I've got a lot of federal experience. Got it. So now... And I used to be the DPO, but I hired one of those. <laughs> okay. So now, um, next question. Portfolio pruning. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like, you know, I just mentioned how in practice Z Zero Trust seems to be additive. Mm -hmm. if, if, you, if you go completely to the cloud, maybe you could get rid of some perimeter stuff. Yeah. But before you do, you, 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 it is additive. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like every generation of new products, every RSA, there's a bunch of new toys to buy, but there's nothing that gets replaced. Um, you know, when are we going to start seeing actual, real, meaningful pruning of cybersecurity where new technology replaces mm -hmm. old technology? People have been saying for years, for years yeah. antivirus is uh, dead. Long live but, antivirus. But, yeah. but all of the antivirus <laughs> stuff they said <laughs> was dead is still it's being still, used. It's still being used. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things, you know, s security guys have never met a tool that they didn't like. I mean, literally. I mean, I, you know, the thing that used to drive me crazy about my staff was is every time we had a problem or a challenge or a risk, we went out and we bought a tool to solve that problem and that, that risk. You know, so it's, uh, essentially, we ended up with a huge security stack that you know drives complexity and drives um, uh, cost into the network. So boards, our boards, you know, especially in the commercial sector, are, are looking at the cost curve for cybersecurity and seeing that is, is, it is unsustainable. So what do we do about that? So one of the, 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 the founding concepts of, of, of what Zscaler does is to reduce complexity in the network. So, you know, instead of, you know, fully utilizing the architecture and the tools that you buy, the tool sets that you buy, you know, Often we buy point solutions. You know, if we have a DLP problem, we buy a DLP tool, or we buy, or we're looking for an IPS or an IDS or some kind of internal threat. We'll buy a tool to solve that. Or, and anyway, we don't look at it as a whole, as a, in a holistic view. You know, uh, one of the things that you 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 like to see is you know, hey, you buy a tool that does multiple things, and then you integrate that, and then retire the things that that, that it took over to drive. Some, we never have done that. We not once, which has kept the security business in business you know we're spending money hand over fist so what do we do about that so one of the things that you know the ability to reduce the complexity or pare down uh, the number of tools that you have is to you know uh, is to move some of those applications some of those tools to the cloud um, but I mean the idea is that you're not necessarily taking the tool away no you're what just you what you're doing is you're you're bringing it into an, an un, under an umbrella in which meaningful integration can take place exactly and, and meaningful consolidation so of administration can take place exactly so you're driving out the complexity of both the security stack and the administration of the security stack so you can not necessarily get rid of of people but you can get rid of tools that so don't what, work together very what well. you're saying is you may not prune capabilities but you could prune vendors yes you can prune you don't you never want to prune capabilities you just want to transfer where those capabilities reside again and putting them under a single organization or a single stack allows you to have that single pane of glass that single pane of administration that single ubiquitous policy application so being able to see what your users are doing how they're doing it where they're doing it in a single place from a single tool from a single instance of that tool. 
So that is that's sort of you know the nirvana of where people are trying to get. But again, you know, we live in the real world. So this is you know there's that's you know you can't you know again. Oftentimes we you know security guys and IT guys get get caught up in the you know trying to do everything so we do nothing. Got it. Well, so, you know that's that's the, 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 it's a perfect segue to my my last of my three official questions. Sure. And the the, the 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 last question is about cloud migration. Mm -hmm. So, and you've been talking exactly about this right in, mm -hmm. in your comments so far. Here's what I'm thinking. Right now, if you look at most cybersecurity spending, you're still spending on on-premise systems. Mm -hmm. And, um, but almost every one of those on-premise systems is powered in some sense by some cloud capability, whether it's an ML machine learning thing that's happening on data mm -hmm. consolidated across those systems, or some updates that are coming you know, from the cloud. So you know, there's lots of cloud connections to um, uh, uh, on-premise systems. Mm -hmm. But right now, when, if you if you count about that, if you count that spending, it's still on-premise spending, sure. even though it's it's cloud enhanced. Right. I mean, so when when are we going to get more cybersecurity in the cloud, or is it really going to wait for people to implement the cloud complete no. model? No, no, you absolutely don't have to do that. Okay. So. Um, Again, you know, a, a moving to the cloud is a transformational journey, and for a lot of people, a lot of large organizations, you will always have legacy data, data center, or legacy data centers, and legacy data and legacy applications. There are people who have invested tens of millions of dollars in homegrown applications that they're never going to be able to move to the cloud, so they'll always have that. But the idea of being able to migrate certain other things that are that are commodity IT services, you know, like payroll, you know, Workday, you know, your HR systems, you know, Office 365, now you're moving, you know, Exchange to the cloud. That commodity IT services that you can either offload to the cloud to another separate vendor, a software as a service vendor or somebody like that, Salesforce, you know, ServiceNow, you know, to where you don't have to have that that infrastructure to support that in the, in to the into your legacy data center. Those are the things, those are the steps that you can start taking today to migrate yourself from your legacy data center to the cloud. Because, you know, the way that we do IT uh, now, uh, and we have been doing it now, is, you know, we're really the technologists. We're net, we had really, net, we were never considered business enablement. That has changed, both for security guys and for the IT guys and the chief technology officers. Our job now has changed exponentially. There's been a C-state change in how we need to think about what our jobs are. Our jobs are now to our business enablement. We, you know, for a CIO, your job is to provide tools and data and analytical tools to the business to enable them to drive revenue. From a security guy's perspective, your job is to provide tools and a security posture that allows the business to protect and drive revenue. That's your job. So you have to figure out, you know, your how you fit into that. So that means you no longer are a pure play technologist. You know, you're not the, you know, the cybersecurity guys are, you know, always put the no in innovation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so your, your job now is to work with those businesses to be able to identify how they can drive revenue in, the, in, a, in a manner that's accept, risk acceptable to the organization in which they've worked. So it's no longer a, hey, it's either secure or it's not. 
It's a, okay, this is a risk conversation. If you want to do this, this is the risk. If you accept it, okay, we'll do the best we can to be able to, to accept that. And that allows you to basically feel more comfortable with moving those applications into the cloud because oftentimes the security guys are a blocker for that. Oh, we can't deploy our tools to Got the cloud. It. We can't see X, Y, and Z. But again, the idea is that's that's the way, the old mentality of thinking about things. The, you know, the, the environment has changed and we have to change with it. So what you're saying is that it's possible to get a better cybersecurity platform by, if you have a cloud-based world, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you can live without a firewall. If well, you have a cloud-based world, you can have more integrated you, cybersecurity you can, you can live solution. without a physical instance of a, of a firewall. Right, right. But that you know, outbound traffic and stuff like that, internal those No, no, I mean, you, you can yeah. live without a, uh, yeah, an on-premise yeah, exactly. physical firewall. Yeah, exactly, so you can forge all your traffic. No, you, your firewall, you won't even think that you have a firewall anymore. What you'll have is a way to connect to a cloud cybersecurity cloud, service exactly. that will provide all that. Exactly, and your businesses will be able to do that. And they'll, they'll essentially yeah. uh, provide you the ability to connect to those services and those tools that you need in a risk-acceptable manner. You know, And that's the whole idea, because you can't, it, it's crazy to think that you would act, that you would extend a legacy architecture into the cloud. It's just not designed that way, and it's not built that way, and it would cost a fortune to do it. Got so it. So why? So the next uh, question is a part of three bonus questions Ooh, I have. Bonus questions. Yes, exactly. Bonus round. One is um, about ops discipline. How many CISOs do you think would be better off not buying the new shiny new tool, but instead taking that same money and investing in operational discipline and mm -hmm. cybersecurity hygiene, meaning being able to more control your configuration of your mm -hmm. environment with more automation, being able to evaluate and determine faster which patches you're going to make and which you're not. All the other things that are just like mom and apple pie, simple things, but are but, yeah. but if not done, leave you vulnerable. Yeah, uh, you know, the basics of, uh, the basics we've been preaching for cybersecurity don't go away in this new environment. You know, things like configuration management, patch management, you know, those types of things are always going to be there. Um, we get a lot of pressure uh, from, um, you know, the vendor community and uh, uh, other CISOs, you know, based upon things like, uh, you know, catastrophic events. You know, hey, not pet you, or, you know, or some other ransomware or something like that. You know, we spend a great deal of time worrying about a problem that represents, or the, the potentiality of a problem that represents maybe 1% of our risk profile. And we spend a great deal of money trying to solve that 1%, which would be better said, like, okay, yeah, that might happen. You know, it could happen, but what are the chances of that risk being realized? And then sort of taking a deep breath and using and listening to our better angels and trying and making a sort of an internal stand against our operations guys that are, you know, oftentimes are the ones that are, you know, you know, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. If I don't get this tool, I'm, I'm good, you know, the world's going to end. Is basically taking a stand and saying, okay, listen, in order to do this, we need to do this better because that would mitigate that risk far more effectively than the tool that you want to buy. So, you know, and it, the so other. You're, so you're essentially saying, Yes. Yes, that's exactly and, uh, that, that, a, that, 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 a long, drawdown answer yeah, to a that, short that, that, Yeah, that that that, that, that that if you were, you know, kind of giving short, quick advice to CISOs, yeah. you'd say, look, really focus on operational discipline, right. you know, config management, patch management. Get those things right and make sure that they're getting better. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it, there, there are ways, there are tools out there to help you. You probably own them 
when you know, they're just not fully utilized. Uh, you, one of the other funky little problems that come into play with a CISO or a CISO or a CISO, however you, you know, depending on what part of the country, potato, potato, uh, that you, you want to talk about is, is the regulatory environment because that often draws, drives a lot of, of interesting behavior with regards to uh, you know, tool purchasing and drives a lot of attention, uh, especially in healthcare and banking and, you know, the federal government as well as. But again, you know, if we concentrate, you know, and I used to tell Congress this all the time and they hated me for it because, you know, it was hard to be able to measure that. If you concentrate on operational excellence, you know, doing those things like, you know, patch management, configuration management, making sure you have a good quality, uh, you know, asset inventory, making sure that you know where your devices are. If you concentrate on operational security and you do that well, compliance will come along for the ride. Whether you want it to or not, it's just going to happen organically. You'll have to pay some attention to it, but that you'll be spending far more attention and far more effort on operational security, those types of things that you need for compliance, like, oh, hey, do you have an accurate inventory? Oh, hey, do you have a patch management program? Oh, hey, do you have a configuration management program? And oh, by the way, can you produce artifacts to prove that? That will come along if you're doing those things properly. You don't have to have a set, or you, you know, hopefully, with you, if you're not the government, you wouldn't have to have a whole separate team that's, that's equal in size to your operations team to be able to provide the the, ar the artifacts that the that the oversight bodies need. Got it. Con so, now, what have you seen? The next question is about cyber security culture. What have you seen people do who are doing a good job of training and inculcating? proper cybersecurity mindset in into their staffs and and how do you make it something that is motivating and part of everyday life not something that is seen as an annoying pain and i think <laughs> yeah boy that's a third rail that's right so um one of the the more interesting aspects of cybersecurity is, is you know our, our biggest asset is also our biggest risk and that's our users Excuse me. Um, one of the things that's critical to success for any organization, and most especially cybersecurity, is making sure that the business people, employees, users, customers are aware of cybersecurity. Now, it, it's getting better now because we're constantly in the news. Every time you turn around, there's a cybersecurity issue, there's somebody being breached, there's somebody in Target or God bless their little pee picking hearts, poor guys. Um, um, Marriott, you know, who mm -hmm. you know, bought a breach with, you know, <laughs> start with preferred guests, uh, their integration. But again, you know, those types of things, that, you know, it's not that they're not aware. It's just that, you know, it's, we have a tendency in the past to make this mysterious and complicated and, and uh, a non-layman, beyond the layman's ability to understand. That's not true. There, you know, we need to change the way that we talk about cybersecurity to our businesses. Hey, it's not this, you know, we're not all sitting in a dark room with voodoo and chicken bones trying to figure out what the hell's going on. You too can understand cybersecurity. Again, we're starting to, and I think, you know, with the new generations that's coming up that are, you know, coming into the workforce, they've been exposed to the internet since they were born. And they've had constant, you know, um, you know, discussions from their, you know, their parents and their teachers, and they've gone through it in school. So I think it's going to get easier. But again, you know, part of our job is is to make sure that our workforce understands how what they do 
affects our security posture. And you know, there are a bunch of really cool ways to do that game theory, and not, that doesn't mean playing games. It mm -hmm. means things like you know how United Airlines does a reward system. You know, United Miles Plus. Hey, you do this, you get a prize. You do this, you get a prize. You do this, you you know, you get some Got sort it. of status. And I think when we start thinking about different ways of educating to make it engaging, instead of you know once a year, hey, it's time for your annual security awareness training. You've got to go and sit in your two and a half hour cl online class, go through this thing, and it's just some guy with a bunch of slides going Becky you know runs into Bob and Bob says hey right, right, what's your, right. you know oh my god you know some of the way that we do things is just like oh holy cow um, there's a, a guy um, that that's an old friend of mine whose name escapes me um, oh, bugger I'll get but it. you'll get it later I'll get it later and he is he's he's like has the best mind with regards to training cyber he's actually running around this week I'm getting old. Yeah, no, no, no. Please do pass them along later on. So <laughs> the, the, the last question I have, and although I've got a bonus bonus question uh, for bonus, you, bonus. Cool. Um, uh, the last question I have that of the traditional bonus questions is about cyber insurance. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends who are CISOs or CIOs or CTOs, and they are asked by their boards or CEOs to buy cyber insurance. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to buy it because they don't think that it's really going to actually be of value. It's not that it's not a real insurance policy. It's just that there are so many exceptions uh, that allow the insurance company not to pay out. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's the coverage is so limited that it's not exactly going to provide much benefit. What would you say to a CISO who's eager to try to argue his board or CEO about out of the idea of buying cyber insurance? <laughs> so first off, you're not going to. The board, the boards and the CEOs, especially in a publicly traded company, will you'll never win that argument, mainly because they view insurance as a security blanket. Depending upon the policy, how the policy is written, you can you can derive great benefit. You, there are several CISOs that I know personally that have gotten you know um, have, have made claims against their insurance policies, and those insurance policies have paid out not to the to whatever thing that they wanted, but certainly around 70 or 80%, which is not bad. On the flip side of that, the the, why, the reasons why there are so many uh, clauses and, and restrictions on those policies is there's no risk actuarial tables on cybersecurity. At, I mean, you know, at, that exist. I mean, they're starting to come into being and, you know, some of the, the more, uh, f you know, um, mature... You know, uh, insurance companies are starting to develop those actuarial tables, but for the most part, they don't exist because you know, again, you know, most most insurance companies can tell you based upon your age and your location and your 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 organization or where you live and your driving habits and what you've done in the past, how many tickets you have. They can almost predict exactly what, when, and where and why you're going to have an accident, and then they base your policy accordingly. For cybersecurity, it's a crapshoot. So there's a lot of you know normal restrictions that don't exist in normal policies that exist in cybersecurity policy. So there's sort of a you know there's a there's an argument to be made for not doing it, but there's an argument to be made for doing it. And the board views insurance as a security blanket to offset fiduciary risk for the organization. So they're always going to go with it because every other board member that they know and every other company that they have existence with, you know, every publication that they're reading tells them that they need cybersecurity insurance to be able to offset, you know, fiduciary risk for the organization. And so just you just have to be a sophisticated buyer. You just have to be a sophisticated buyer. I mean, you know, don't take the first one you get. 
go out, get multiple quotes, be a good consumer of insurance. Got it. Now, the last one is that, you know, one of the implications of what you're saying is that uh, as we get both either, as we go down this road, we're not getting a, a reduction of capabilities, but we are getting consolidation of capabilities. And so it seems to me that I have yet to see cross-vendor consolidation or cross-vendor integration work really well because Mm -hmm. what's exposed when an event is raised is only a limited amount of information that goes across outside the product boundary. Mm -hmm. But inside the product boundary, you have access to much more context, much more information. So it seems like that the only successful integrations are inside company boundaries where a capability inside a firewall is integrated with an antivirus or with a DNS system inside a portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, do you see that the, the primary engine of, uh, of forward, of simplification, and of integration is going to be consolidation and, and construction of larger and larger portfolios yes. underneath company umbrellas? Absolutely. So, I, again, if you think back to the mid-1990s, there were, what, six different operating systems? There was Windows... 95, yeah. uh, OS2 Warp, there was Linux, there was SC, SGI, there was uh, Apple. Today, effectively, there are two. I mean, you know, there's Lin- flavors of Linux out there, but primarily for the vast majority of the consumer base, it's Windows or Apple, or Apple Mac OS. Those are the two. So from a cybersecurity perspective, we're sort of in that same boat now. We're starting to see that activity happen. You know, so with a lot of the different acquisitions and stuff that are happening, I think you know we're going to see a consolidation in the security marketplace, uh, where you know in five or six years, or maybe as little as three, it depends upon you know where we see you know, the board starting to put their foot down and where the market actually drives spending and how fast that consolidation happens. Where you'll And also the end of the endless venture capital. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's going away as well because, you know, they're, right now money's getting thrown around like there's no tomorrow. If you say cyber, you get money. Uh, that, you know, in three or four years, you're going to see, you know, four, five, six major vendors where you will get your entire security suite from. And, and that helps drive, you know, we, we see, uh, yeah, or at least me, uh, I see that, you know, that's what's going to end up happening. Much like how we did with OSs, we'll do the same thing with the security environment. Got so. it. Well, Stan, uh, real pleasure talking to you today. Uh, I hope you have a great show here at RSA. It's been a lot of fun. As do I. You have a great day, too.